0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So in Mark chapter eight, we have a, a variety of things going on here. We have another mass feeding. This time it's 4,000, not 5,000. There's more women and children that weren't counted in that. And Jesus continues to teach in parables that refocus us to our understanding of the kingdom. He heals a blind man. In verse uh, late 27 into 28, he starts to teach them, and he's like, hey, listen, who do people say I am? Then he gets to a point where he says, who do you say I am? And Peter answers in a quite profound way still early in in Jesus' ministry. He says, you are the Messiah. It's a great uh, revelation that only the Lord could have brought Peter at that time. So then in verse 31, I would love to know how much time is between verse 29 and 31, because 31, he begins to teach them that he needs to suffer, that he's going to be hated, that he's going to be killed, and three days later, rise up. And the one who calls him Messiah takes him aside, and Peter does his duty to rebuke the Messiah. So, of course, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he talks about how Peter has concerns of man and not of God. So there are very uh, clear and profound moments of revelation throughout this entire chapter. But I want you to understand, at the same time, remember, the apostles Thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and overtake the Roman government. So they weren't always thinking from the perspective of of Messiah and of Savior of the world. And and if you're going to die, you're going to be resurrected uh, physically and spiritually. Uh, They're thinking, listen, they're going to overtake this evil government that wants to control us. So they're not seeing things through the right lenses all of the time. So the verses I'm going to focus on are right after that, there where Jesus begins to speak very clearly and very boldly of what it would require to be his disciple. I love this. Jesus is very kind and very compassionate, but he doesn't mince words, right? No beating around the bush, no sugarcoating it. The disciples were about to come face to face with what it would really mean to follow Jesus. And it would not be an easy road, as he explains. In Mark chapter eight, verse 34, it says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So it wasn't just the 12, it was a crowd of people plus the 12. It says whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or well, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory, with the holy angels. You know, I heard it said once, grace costs you nothing, and the kingdom will cost you everything. You know, when we talk about grace, we talk about forgiveness and so on, it is solely based on, the, on what Jesus did for us, amen? There's nothing we can do to earn that. However, sometimes we communicate a message that says something like, grace costs you nothing, forgiveness costs you nothing, the blood of Jesus costs you nothing, but also surrendering your life costs nothing. And following him costs nothing. And bearing his name costs nothing. And standing up for what you believe costs nothing. And that, that, that message is not true. It's not true at all. Grace is absolutely free. Say amen. amen. But bearing the mark and the name of Jesus upon your life, where you will make an eternal impact in others' lives, will cost you everything. And the amens are a little bit less than that sometimes. <laughs> Grace costs you nothing. Amen. The kingdom will cost you everything. Well, not sure about that. (laughs) When you think about it, what costs Jesus his life will also cost you yours, just in a different manner. It's not an easy message because remember, he said, repent, think differently. The kingdom of God is at hand. So everything leading up to it is, let me earn, 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 earn. And now he's saying, listen, this thing that I'm going to offer you is going to cost you absolutely nothing. But if you actually wanna follow me, after receiving from me, if you want to follow me, it will cost you something. You know, I do think the American church communicates a message sometimes that is half right. I'm not against the amenities and the comfort and the luxury that we have here in this country, but that can't be the goal. It can't be an end in itself. It has to be a means to an end. So I started thinking about what the American church sometimes communicates to, to uh, those who attend their church. Some of the things are, you, know, you will feel good about yourself here, come and feel good about yourself. But Jesus says, surrender your life and repent. The church says, come and be served. We will serve all of your needs. And Jesus says, come to serve. The church says, live, be blessed and prosper. Side note. I'm not against and I'm quite for the blessing of the Lord, the protection of the Lord, the prosperity of the Lord, but that is held in tension with what Jesus said, die, be a blessing and think of others first. Right? Do you see how we, sometimes the American church, it's all about the blessing and the prosperity and the more, more, more. When Jesus' primary message was die. And once you're dead, think of other people first. Experience our cool lights and music. I like cool lights and music, but Jesus also teaches not to get caught up in culture or the hype of that day. We often say, hey, look at our church. And not just, I'm not talking about just our church. I'm saying the American culture church. We have lots of people. But Jesus says, take time with the one, serve the least of these. Churches often communicate how popular we are and how everybody knows about us. But Jesus teaches us not to seek a name or a title. We often say, you know, our services, our church services are exciting and high energy, and you can go across all kind of websites and see how much fun people are having in church. And Jesus, what does he do? What's the substance of his life is to get alone with the Father and rest. It wasn't about the hype. Churches sometimes say, come and receive for yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Churches often say, we have prizes. Hey, I like prizes. We're gonna give prizes away for kids that come at Easter and after Easter. But Jesus doesn't say come and get prizes. He says, take up your cross. So are prizes wrong, bad? No. Are they a means to the end so that a child or even an adult would find Christ and choose to deny themselves and take up their cross? What's popular now? Follow us on Facebook, we're trending. Jesus says, follow me and people will hate you because of it. wasn't an easy chapter for me. You know, when you think about it, it it is perfectly fine for you to feel welcomed here and for you to receive. But the goal is that you surrender more to Jesus and give of yourselves. Amen. It's good for you to understand how to access the blessing that you have as a child of God, but it's greater to understand how you can use that to be a blessing for other people. It's good to have clear lighting, to have anointed worship, to have good uh, environment but the result is so that people can be at rest in his presence and receive him more so they can make a difference in their own life. It's perfectly fine if you're liked by men and if you have favor, but you do it for his glory, not for your own. Amen? High energy services, like I said, those things, they're fun. Our our celebration service that we're gonna have March 15th, those are the, I I always get this wrong. Is it funnest, most fun? I don't know. I have a lot of fun at those services. They're (laughs) high energy, they're exciting, but we're not having that just for the sake of having it. We're celebrating what Jesus is doing in people's lives. So it's never, oh yeah, Central pulled off a great service. No, all of this stuff, the goal is Jesus. The goal is becoming his disciple and continuing to be his disciple. The goal and why we do everything that we do needs to be to become and to continue to be a disciple of Jesus. So I ask myself the question, I have the question to ask you too. Do we actually know what it means to deny ourselves? Some people think that means like self-hatred. Don't give any attention to yourself, just demean yourself. No, that's called guilt and shame. That's driven by religion. That's not what Jesus taught us. But we do have to put it in perspective of what he is asking us to do. Because denying ourselves really is getting off of our own high horse and not demanding a whole bunch of things and comforts and luxuries that we think we deserve because we're a citizen of America. First, we're a citizen of the kingdom. And to get in there, you have to die first. So I think about how many Christians of this world, of this world would laugh at and maybe even scoff at our current inconveniences and complaints if we would take our, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bashing the American church. I love our church. You guys are awesome. But when we look at what we can get caught up in, if we would take some of our comments and attitudes and superimpose them across the world, it would seem laughable. So we have a church that Leslie can put up. Think if, if the people that attended this church here heard comments like, it's getting too full in our sanctuary. Someone took my seat. People spread their coats out too much. I can't get comfortable. My classroom was packed last Wednesday. It was too stuffy in there. I'm not sure if I'm gonna return. I can't even find a good parking spot. I mean, I think these things too. I'll go to Pastor David. Like, it's it's warm in here today. Like, they would say, give me a break. (laughs) Like, I look at people that would travel, like no parking spots available that travel by foot potentially hours to meet in that building, to deny themselves luxury and comfort, to worship the one who gave them eternal life. It puts all of this stuff into perspective. There's another church that she could put up there. You know, maybe this gentleman, if he would hear that, that Christians in America, sometimes their biggest thing is that it's too cold in a sanctuary or too hot in a sanctuary. The bathrooms are tight, they need updated that you had to wait five, 10 minutes to check out your kid out of children's church, that the food was either too cold or not quite what you wanted at the last church event. All right, and this gentleman is happy to be alive. And he knows if he dies because his next church gets burned down that he's gonna go and be with Jesus. He's probably not concerned if what the menu choice is at the next church event. Again, I'm not being hard on you guys. These things are like questions that run through my head. So don't think, I'm not like secretly talking to specific individuals in our church family. You're not in trouble. It's just, yeah, it's a reality check of like, did we deny ourselves that we take up our cross? Are we really following what's important in Jesus's life? Or were we making these first world problems like our main concern? Another church, if they would hear that, Christians in America would talk about the seats being uncomfortable, that there's not enough room between the pews. The church services are too long in America. The pastor's microphone isn't loud enough to hear or you can't get a good angle because of the the wide uh, separation of people. They would probably think we were a little bit silly. They're happy to sit on stone for as long as that pastor preaches to receive the word and to grow in their walk. So I go back to two simple verses from this chapter that has messed with me all week. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So to think of the word deny yourself, it is often misunderstood. This word deny yourself means to resist, to reject, or to refuse. It basically means to say no. No. So what this means is not saying no that you're you don't deny that you're human. You don't deny that you have feelings. You don't deny that you're in process. You don't you don't cut yourself, harm yourself, hate yourself. It's not it's not that denying that other false religions actually practice in when they hear this world, this word. So it's not self-denial. It's denying yourself the right to be lord over your own life. Does that make sense? You're not denying how God's created you, that you're unique in his image, that you have value, that you have significance. You're not denying any of that. What you're saying is, as long as I'm on the throne of my own heart, none of my significance will actually come true. None of the dreams that God's placed in my heart will come to pass. So it's like if, if you would um, picture a throne, this will be the throne and there's one throne on your heart, in your heart, and one person gets to sit there, all the way up to the point of time where you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're sitting on this throne. You're saying, I am my own God. I am Lord, meaning I'm in charge. I make the rules. I do what I want. I live life my way. When Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, step one, deny yourself. Step aside, get off the throne of your heart. It's the very first step is create a vacancy in your heart so that Jesus can actually come and take up residence. Does this make sense? We don't walk around like just poor people trying to make it through life. Absolutely not. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly, right? Amber was talking about, yes, we'll have troubles in this world but take heart. He's overcome the world. So we win, we're victorious, we're blessed, we're favored, we're all of those things. After we do this, it's after we deny ourselves. Some people wanna keep like half themselves on here. Well, yeah, Jesus, like he's gonna get me to heaven, but I still kinda wanna be in charge of my dreams, my passions and where where I'm gonna go in life. No, he's saying there has to be a complete denial that you are in fact Lord of your life. Get off the throne of your heart so that Jesus can become Lord. Amen? The second phrase he says is to take up your cross. This does not mean that Jesus is going to strike you with an illness or he's going to give you a problem for the rest of your life so that you walk around and say, this is my cross to bear. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't walk around like tripping people and pushing them over and zapping them with illnesses and diseases, pulling out the plug on people's boats so they had a cross to bear. So the suffering that he's talking about, actually, we're gonna read some verses later on. The majority of the time, it is persecution. It is suffering because you've denied yourself and other people around you haven't denied themselves yet. So they're living a life of selfishness and sin. They see that you're different and they treat you badly because of it. Are you still with me? So this cross that he's asking you, I want you to understand when he's teaching this, See, we get this so confused. We wear these gold crosses around our neck and we're like, this is a religious symbol. The cross is a religious symbol. Before Jesus died on the cross, the cross was not a religious symbol. When he says, take up your cross, that means he's telling you to die a criminal's death. You have to follow this. When he's saying, deny yourself, you're no longer in charge, take up your cross and follow me, they weren't thinking, oh, Jesus is going to die on a cross and now it's, everybody's gonna wear it here and it's gonna be a religious symbol. It would be like us today wearing an electric chair symbol around our neck. Jesus died a criminal's death. So when he's saying, take up your cross, a person did not take up their cross until they were judged to death. Right? You're not going to take up your cross and just carry it around for a couple of weeks like as a hobby. Somebody has personal goals, personal dreams and desires in their life. They did something that would require a crime that required execution by crucifixion to die a criminal's death. And once that judgment was made, they picked up the cross beam of that cross and they would carry it while being beat and spit upon all the way up until they would lay down and have the nails put in their hands and their feet. Jesus wasn't the first person that this happened to, guys. So Jesus is saying this, once you deny yourself, you have to render yourself dead. You have to pick up that cross and begin to walk yourself toward the tomb, toward the grave, that you will no longer live for yourself. I guarantee when that person is walking there, they're not thinking about tomorrow. They're not thinking about all their personal dreams and wishes and hopes and goals. They're thinking about the death that is coming upon them. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, a true disciple, get off the throne of your heart, pick that cross up and begin to follow me. He's saying, reckon yourself, render yourself dead. How many times did Jesus pick up a cross and take it up? How many times did he have to take up his cross? One time he had to take up his cross. One time he had to die for sins of everyone. And yet in Luke's gospel, it says, take up your cross daily and follow me. I'm like, mess, Jesus had to do this one time. Why do I have to do this every day? It's because when we deny ourselves and we die to our old sinful nature, I've used the illustration before, we're we're dead to our old nature. When I'm talking about dying and death, I'm not talking about physical death. It it is a dying to our old sinful, selfish nature. So we get off the throne of our heart, we pick up our cross and we bury that old man. And then we start life and something comes that causes a, a, a little bit of discomfort or there's a luxury that's not there anymore or something changes and what do we do? We go back and we revisit our tomb. We revisit the grave. And we start thinking about the days that used to be. Wow, that was fun back then. Wow, I could do whatever I want back then. I didn't have to go to church, prayer meetings, or give money to the Lord. This looks enticing. So what Jesus is doing is saying this. Take up your cross again. Your old man is already dead. Be reminded of it daily that he's still dead. Don't let his corpse come and revisit you and entice you back into the ways of living before you knew Jesus. So Jesus took up his cross once. We need to be reminded daily that we are following Jesus, that we are dead to our old selfish and sinful ways that we may truly have life everlasting. So when Jesus says that though you'll die, you'll never die, that's what we mean. We've died to our sins. We've died to our old wretched selves that we would walk with Jesus into all of eternity. I saw a quote last week by Michael Kulianos. He's a pastor and director of Jesus Image. And it just has stuck with me and messed with me. He said something very simple. Living wood smokes, dead wood burns. I don't want to be full of smoke. I want to burn for Jesus. I want to burn for Jesus. I want to do what he says to do. I want to be in love with him. I want to be in a closer relationship with him. I want to know what it is to rest in him. and know what it is to run with him but it requires us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and make sure we're dead. So we're not saying, yes, we're a sacrifice, but we're still alive in our old way and we're just gonna send off a lot of smoke. The church does not need, or I'm sorry, the world does not need a church that's sending off a smoke signal. They need the fire of God. Right, we can only talk about this stuff so much until we, we have to be desperate enough to see it in our lives. Like I need to be a flame a burning for you. He called us the light of the world. He did not say we were a smoke signal. But it requires us to be dead first. And he says to follow me. I was thinking, you know, I don't like to follow people all the time. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a leader and be in charge and make the decisions. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, what, what happens? What, what happens? If, I want, if I'm going to deny myself, that means I'm getting off of the throne of my heart, I've picked up my cross, and when I die to my old sinful nature, Pastor Christian, can you just run up there and sit there, please? Pastor Christian will play the part of Jesus. He's good. I try to pull him off with my actions and my attitudes now. So I've denied myself, I've picked up my cross, I've died to my old sinful nature. I'm just taking up my cross each day again. That's not your cross to bear so you're miserable so you don't feel good about yourself. It's not that at all. It's just a reminder that the old you is dead, okay? Now he's saying, follow me. Well, guess what? Jesus isn't on the earth anymore, right? So he's not walking down a road that we can like follow him and he's turning left and he's turning right. How does Jesus guide us? Internally by his Holy Spirit. Guess where that was? on the throne of my what? Heart. So now what we're doing is we're guided. I can walk this way and now guess what happens? The dreams that he's placed in my life, the goals, the talents, the giftings, all those things do one of two things. They either die and are buried forever or they're refined because now I'm born again and they're re-energized. I say, wow, I've seen this thing from a new perspective. So now where I'm going, he's in charge. He's on the throne of my heart. He's speaking, he's guiding, he's leading. He's empowering. That's how we follow Jesus, right? If I try to bump him off or sit with him or sit next to him, it's not gonna work. That's where confusion comes. I can't hear the word, the the Lord clearly. The Bible's not speaking to me, all these things. Check and make sure. Have you denied yourself first? Are you making sure that the dead man is still buried and you're not dragging him back up to follow him once again? And are you following that internal leading of the Holy Spirit? That is what it means to be a disciple. The simplicity of what Jesus taught. Let's not overlook it. Let's not overthink it. We need to get out of the way and let him lead us. Christian, you can go ahead. <clears throat> Adam, you can come up with this time. I just wanna read you a few other things that Jesus taught. And again, in all of this, he, he actually has given us the grace to have joy. Some people can hear this and almost like get militant. Like, I'm so serious about my walk with the Lord now. Like, they're like all like focused. No, you can be focused on the inside and smile, <laughs> right? You could spend your time broken before the Lord, weeping before the Lord God. I have not picked up my cross for a long time and I've been visiting the grave of my old man and it seems enticing and fun and good and my attitude stinks. Do all that with him by yourself so that he could fill you with joy and then you can be a joy to be around. Does this make sense? So Jesus says in Matthew five eleven, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Again, we get all up in arms if people who are so separated from us in the government pass a law and we don't take the own responsibility to say, listen, blessed, we will be a blessed people when, when people come against us because of our faith, and then we'll have a right to stand up. It says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man, we want, I'm telling you, I'm just being honest. I would love a comfortable life where not one person ever persecuted me, came against me or said anything evil. I, would, I like to be liked. But when I see great is your reward in heaven, when all this thing happens, that word blessed almost meaning happy, filled with joy, you will be when these things happen. It puts following Jesus in a new perspective. Matthew 10, says, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Again, I'm on social media. I'm not against it. I just think that we could set ourselves up for fake uh, affirmation. We put something on, we get a ton of likes and now everybody likes us. Well, everybody in our small little Christian world might like you or most people on, on social media. But he's saying, if you're actually following me, you're gonna be so countercultural that people will hate you. Acts chapter five, verse 41 says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Such a different perspective. Just, I would let that mess with you. They, they said, God, I thank you that we were considered worthy to actually be able to be arrested and beaten and threatened because your name is marked on my heart. In Romans 8, 17, it says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, period. I've preached, it that, I've preached that comma as a period for a long time. Doesn't that sound really good? Like that, that, we are children of God because of that, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That'll, amen. If indeed, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 1 Peter 4, starting verse 12 says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Period, I'm not saying, I'm will, I will not saying God is sending bad things into your life or he's making you sick or he's giving you disease. I'm not saying that. It says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. What was the sufferings of Christ? Persecution, hatred because of who he was and the kingdom that he brought. This is that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Come on, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for his spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I believe that that's what that means, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. And I believe that's where the distinction is. The grace costs you nothing, the kingdom will cost you everything. Grace. See, Isaiah says that your name, if you, if you follow Jesus, your name is written on the palm of God's hand. And, and the Bible also confirms that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So you, when you say yes to grace and yes to Jesus, your name is written on him and in heaven. But to have his name written on you, that costs us something. To actually be known as a strong Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled Christian is going to cost us something. And great is our reward because of it. Great is our reward, the Bible says. Great is our reward. I'm gonna read just a few sobering stories just to set your mind again, this is a recalibration today of what believers, people that are part of the family of God, the body of Christ are facing. I've received these stories, they're true stories and they're not exaggerated from a ministry called Open Doors USA and then we'll close. On January 9th of 2020, just a month and a half ago, it says a 22 year old college student from Nigeria was executed for his faith. He was kidnapped by the Islamic State along with others, as he returned from Christmas break. They released a video of his execution shortly after news of the beheading of another Nigerian church leader. He was reportedly executed by a young boy. The video showed an armed young boy to believe, believed to be around 10 years old. On Monday morning, January 27th, just a month ago, a mob of hundreds of people attacked believers and looted their homes in Bangladesh. 18 homes and a house church building were destroyed. At least six believers were hospitalized. It's also believed that three Christian men were kidnapped and maybe facing torture. This is a month ago, folks. There was also unconfirmed reports that one or more of these men have already been killed for their faith. And just two Sundays ago, while we were in church, Sunday, February 16th of this year, attackers broke into a village in the Northeast region of Burkina Faso while Christians gathered for worship. They killed 20 people and injured 15 more. The extremists also abducted the pastor and set the church on fire. Several people are still missing. He goes on to say these attacks are horrendous, but the Christian community in Burkina Faso are persevering through Christ during extreme persecution. I look at these stories and I think, and I compare like the, the, how radical I think I'm following Jesus to what these men and women are. I think it's a good barometer, a good recalibration of, listen, I'm not trying to be like them. We could feel blessed and appreciate what we can experience in the United States, but it's not about our comfort. This is about Jesus. It's about following him and becoming like him. Why don't we stand? I just want to ask you to close your eyes and if you feel comfortable, just put your hand over your heart at this time. I just want to pray for yourself, actually. We're going to spend just a few moments, just a few moments that you have an opportunity to just pray of your own heart, make anything right with the Lord that he's leading you to, and we'll give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus to know him and then we'll close in prayer. Let's just take a few moments by ourselves. Father, as each person prays over themselves, I ask that you would do a work, regardless if we feel something or not. We're not waiting for the goosebumps, we're waiting to become more like you. So, God, I pray that you would continue to graft our hearts, renew us, refresh us, Lord. And God, I pray that we would, that we would rejoice regardless if we're liked or disliked in the community, we would rejoice because we have the opportunity to bear your name. And I believe that the love you have and the compassion that you have and the power that you have will flow through us so that we can advance your kingdom every single place that we go, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have the privilege to bear your name. It is an honor. It is not an obligation. It is an honor to bear the name of Jesus and represent you well on this earth. So God, I just thank you for what you want to do and continue to do in our lives. Bless. We do receive your blessing. We receive your favor in order to pour out into other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.